Welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Back again with another edition of our Tape Trader Diaries series. I'm your host for Doctor Among Men, Duncan Joyce, and I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H mark in show business, it's Mr. Carl Cambry. Hello, so good to be back and recording. It's quite a quick turnaround this time, which is great. How are you doing? Not so bad, yeah. It is good to get up and running pretty quickly. We've got a blockbuster of a show here for you now. We would normally talk a little bit about modern wrestling as well, but you know, fuck WWE at the minute. <laughs> yeah, especially with the recent releases. I mean, what a shocker. Absolutely terrible. All I'll add is I'm really jealous of everyone who had the chance to check out Double or Nothing over the weekend. Well, that sounded like a really good show. Yeah, I heard a lot of good reviews about the show. Not checked it out myself yet, but it is there ready to watch. So, we're going from WWE in modern times performing career Armageddon on some undeserving wrestlers of theirs, <laughs> to heading back in time to the second ever Armageddon pay-per-view. It's WWF Armageddon 2000, took place on December 10th, 2000, from the Birmingham Jefferson Convention Complex in Birmingham, Alabama. 14,920 fans in attendance, with 465,000 watching on pay-per-view at home. This is a tape that my cousin had recorded. I went over to see my family in like February the, the next year, and uh, he brought over his wrestling tapes. We'll get to another one of those in an upcoming episode as well. He'd recorded it off Channel 4, Kyle, the golden age, pay-per-view on Channel 4. Oh, my word. Back then, Channel 4 pay-per-views were the in-thing. So, so good. I, even though I've been watching Heat pretty religiously for the past year it had been on, I still hadn't clocked that some of these actual pay-per-views were on Channel 4 as well, and this was how I found out about it. They had this and... Royal Rumble 2001, which we'll get to in a future episode. And yeah, that's how I realised some shows were on. And I kept checking the schedules for the next time one would be on Channel 4 after this. Yeah, it it was very strange because it wasn't all of them. It was quite sporadic. And it wasn't even like they they kept to the big four or whatever. It, It was... You know, maybe two pay-per-view run, then they'd miss one, and then it was one, and maybe miss two, and then it'd be two in a row. It, it was quite sporadic, but it was great. It was great to see it on Channel 4. It was relatively spread out. Like, they'd have January, April, July, and then December. Yeah. The one bad thing about this, though, was some portion of this show had accidentally been recorded over some old James Bond movie and so I didn't get to watch the entirety of this show when my cousin came round and brought it over so I actually went and bought this on VHS afterwards because I wanted to find out the rest of what happened Just by chance, what James Bond movie did you ruin? (laughs) I've got a feeling it was one of the Connery ones it was very early on 
Oh, not not too bad then. Not too bad. Oh, before we head off to the pay-per-view itself, Kyle, you got some time for some Sunday Night Heat. Yes, 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 yes. This was uh, quite a find. So this would have been completely different from the version of Sunday Night Heat we'd have got over here on the same weekend. Very strange show where simultaneously nothing and everything seemed to happen. <laughs> yeah. This is after they started airing on MTV in America and they had a really cool rebrand with the, the Swishy Flame logo. That was the, the, the best logo for me. Yeah, I loved it. It's fabulous. Did I ever tell you about the summer before this pay-per-view happened? Dad got a new lawnmower, and as he was unboxing it, I grabbed a bit of the cardboard on it, and for some reason it like really inspired me, and I turned it into a kind of Titantron-style stage. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and I branded it after Heat, because... I thought it was a bit rubbish how Heat didn't have its own stage because it was just the same as Raw's or SmackDown's stage. Yeah. I thought, I'll make one for Heat, why not? This was like in the middle of summer and it was still like the old orange flaming letters stuff. So I jigged it up with all that. And then literally a month or two later, they changed it and like, oh, God damn it, I got to update this. (laughs) I had to find a way to kind of elegantly update my designs to yeah. to look right and, and up to date. Lots of the toys I bought as a kid had this Sunday Night Heat branding on it as well. My ring that I had was a Royal Rumble ring and it had a gap in the side where you could put like all your, your tables and chairs and whatnot. I, I kind of, similar to you, like made my own sort of staging and stuff because... At times, I had to ignore that it said the Royal Rumble on the ring. <laughs> like, I don't want to always be at the Rumble. Yeah. Mine was similar. Mine had SmackDown ring aprons, though. Yeah. That was my second ring. The first one I got was the WrestleMania 2001 that was substituted as a, a carry case at the same time. Ah, yes, yeah. Remember that one. So we kick off this episode of Heat with... Some clips of SmackDown a couple of days before. Linda McMahon had endorsed Commissioner Mick Foley's decision to book the Hell in a Cell main event, which we're going to hear lots and lots about across this show. Foley in return offered to resign if anybody got seriously injured. That apparently left Vince McMahon publicly embarrassed, and so he declared, As far as my marriage is concerned, I want a divorce! You're fired! (laughs) It's literally being fired from a marriage, isn't it? (laughs) Mick Foley arrived and blew off Kevin Kelly for an interview because he had an important business call that he needed to be alone for. Michael Cole and Taz were the hosts for this show backstage. Michael Cole, unintentionally cruel here. Taz, what about the state of Mick Foley? Fucking cheers if you've seen your haircut lately, mate. <laughs> they were known to be very harsh on Mick. It's always the nice ones that get it, isn't it? Yeah. This is something that we didn't get on the actual show. It's the Sweet Home Alabama. Come on. Sweet home Alabama. Where the skies are blue. 
centered on the network, present in all its glory here. We get to see a video package hyping the last man standing match between Jericho and Kane. It looks at highlights of all the crazy stuff that they've put each other through over the past couple of months and splices in some clips of Jericho's promo from Survivor Series where he referred to himself as a monster. King had the most apt quote. Have you ever seen Kane stay down for a 10 count? I don't care what you do to him. He pops right back up. It's interesting that that would be said considering how the match goes down. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll get to that. Lillian tries to interview Kane after that, but he just kept streaming, Last man standing! His little voice box. <laughs> <laughs> Ashton Kutcher was on SmackDown, and Michael Cole very naturally here, Oh, star of Dude, Where's My Car? Incredible film. It's so weird to see Ashton Kutcher like that, because... For me, that was Ashton in his prime, those sort of films. I remember when you, me and Tom rented that from Universal. <laughs> that one night we had, and we had that, and what was it, Kung Pao. Oh, God, Kung Pao, where his tongue had eyes and another tongue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's doing the Matrix with the cow with the udders. <laughs> Oh, God, thanks. Oh my God. So good films. The shitter, the better. <laughs> yes. It's like the opposite of wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Coachman runs down the main event tonight and cuts to an interview to Rikishi. Rikishi says he's nervous, but for once he'll come out on top. Don't worry if you missed this. It's repeated twice more during this show. The Castrol GTX Slam of the Week was the Dudleys pulling a ruse pretending to join the right to censor and ending up putting Stephen Richards through a table. That's always nice to to see. (laughs) I went to Michael Cole interviewing the RTC. They talk all about having truth on their side, the wicked not going unpunished, and China spitting in the face of morality. Taz is shown at the Slobberknocker Tailgate Party, where JR's promoting the WWF cookbook. Good lord, he's making something absolutely disgusting here. Some weird kind of barbecue lemonade. And he even put the January issue of WWF magazine with him on the cover in there. I wouldn't want to be a taster for that. JR didn't either. He's like, oh, no thanks, I'm driving. (laughs) This is all second nature to Taz, apparently, because he was talking about, no, in Brooklyn, we barbecue everything. Pigeons, rats, roaches, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> There's then a video of the light heavyweight champion, Dean Malenko, flirting with Lita. Chris Benoit accidentally opened a door on her, and that led to a, a brawl between the Radicals and the Hardys. Dean offered a flower in apology. It got thrown back in his face. So instead, he offered a light heavyweight title shot. But if he won, he'd get to go out on a date with Lita. Unfortunately, Lita lost, and so the date went ahead. She plays along with Dean's stuff initially, and then asks him what his wife thinks about all this. He tells her to let it go, and takes Lita back to his hotel. But it's an ambush, and Team Extreme batter him and trash the hotel room. I remember that, but I only ever remembered Matt 
smashing something over Dean's head. So when Jeff came out of nowhere with the flower vase, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Everything got smashed in that segment. Even Lita got involved, which did nothing. Just, just <laughs> throwing it against the wall and letting the debris just hit Dean behind the mattress. <laughs> Lillian then interviews the Radicals. And Dean said that he gave Lita the opportunity of a lifetime to grow as a woman, but she walked away with two boys instead. The fans were polled outside the arena, asking who they thought would win the Hell in a Cell match. The first fan picked Kurt Angle, claiming, hey, if he can dominate the Olympics, of course he can dominate the Hell in a Cell. Undertaker got lots of support for his experience and because he's a biker. Couple even picked Triple H, Kyle. Of course they will. He's a winner. I, I suppose so. Oh, here we go. I suppose so. <laughs> he was my pick in the match, anyway. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. He was surprisingly over tonight for someone who runs Stone Cold Steve Austin over. Oh, but notably, nobody picked Rikishi Rock or Austin. Austin was a surprise to me that nobody picked. I totally get nobody picking Rikishi. Yes. And sort of rock because of where he was at. But yeah, I, I was quite surprised No, nobody said Austin. A lot of Austin fanboys, so that did surprise me. Or fangirls. Michael Cole talked about The Undertaker and Limp Biscuit hanging out, but it's literally just clips of The Undertaker wrestling cut into the video for Rolling. And this is going to be the debut of Rowling being used as the Undertaker's theme. <gasps> Mick Foley got his phone call. And they cut immediately to commercial. <laughs> that leads into the PlayStation Shock of the Week with Crash Bash. And it's The Rock jumping Edge Christian and Kurt Angle. Oh, we come back from break. And during the break, Mick Foley thanked the person over the phone for their support. That's really illuminating. In WWF New York, Shawn Michaels appears. He's buying a round for everyone on the house. And then he pretends to sing along with My Way. Always entertaining, Shawn. We're now on to our main event of Sunday Night Heat. It's Scotty Too Hotty, accompanied by Grandmaster Sexy, taking on Lowdown's D-Lo Brown, accompanied by Chaz and Tiger Ali Singh. Kyle, I can't believe we missed out here. This was supposed to be a six-man tag team match on the actual pay-per-view. Lowdown and Tiger Ali Singh were going to team up against Too Cool. And did you hear who their tag partner was supposed to be? Go on. Random Steve! Oh, no! Random Steve, man! We missed out on Random Steve. Ah... Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. He was ill with bleeding ulcers, and so Mick Foley booked this match instead. Wow. I'll tell you what, Random Steve with a random injury there. <laughs> yeah, very random. Aww. No Random Steve fix today, although we, we still got him in the podcast. I would have brought us full circle as well. Like, it's exactly what you were talking about on the first episode. Just put him in there. We need a body <laughs> to team up with some other team. 
Dilo actually tried to wrestle with his turban on, which is not a thing I thought Lowdown used to do. No, it was very odd. There's a cool sky-high counter to Scotty's bulldog, and that takes us into the finish. Grandmaster saved Scotty from the frog splash, took out Dilo's stable mates, and that allows Scotty to hit the worm to get the win. Pretty uneventful match. Yeah. JR and King arrive on the commentary table. King says that Helen Cell is a stupid decision, and JR warns that that match won't be suitable for every member of the family because of graphic aggression and overt physicality. Very WWE language there. Yeah. Mick Foley closes out the show with a promo in the ring. He talks about having a hell of a career, but he'll always be synonymous with the Hell in a Cell. He runs through the injuries he had in his first Cell match and talks about his second Cell match ending his career. He reiterates that all of the competitors are aware of the danger. So too is Linda McMahon. And so he reiterates his vow to resign if anyone's injured, then gets his cheap popping. Fat sends us in to the main show. And the end is here. It's such a good intro to the pay-per-view. We say this every time. Late 90s, early 2000s, the video packages, oh my word. Absolutely. Big apocalyptic intro here with the six guys in the Hell in a Cell match. It's set to the awesome Doors knockoff song that would get lots and lots of mileage. I noticed that the only one that who didn't have their own spot who like was filmed separate was Rikishi. They just used a clip of him in the ring. Yeah. Kind of ominous, really. Yeah. The stage is literally a car wreck. Mm. Briscoe Brothers Body Shop got a lot of business out of this one, I'll tell you. They deliberately try to avoid the cell with sweeping shots of the crowd at first, and then they show the cell to the cage-lowering music, with commentary hyping up that careers could end, and King complaining about Mick Foley being bitter because his career ended in the cell. We get a limo arrive, and the Stooges greet it, and look who it is! It's Vince McMahon, Kane and everything! Walking assistant Kane, not the wrestler Kane. Seeing Vince with his cane just brings back so many memories of typical Vince. You know, big bad Vince. Yeah, he's well into midlife crisis Vince, which we'll see some more of on this show. Briscoe does his best small child telling on their sibling to their parent voice, describing the cell hanging above the ring. Mr. McMahon, Mick Foley's got that cell. He's hanging right above the ring. <laughs> what shall we do? <laughs> Our opening contest is a three-on-three intergender elimination match featuring Team Extreme, the Hardy Boys and Lita, taking on the Radicals, represented by Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn and the light heavyweight champion Dean Malenko. This is all the big schmores to start with, and Matt suplexes Dean away from giving Lita a telling off. It's a pretty funny spot. We get lots of double-team moves by the Hardys and the plancher by Jeff. 
King reckons that Dean's mistake was wearing his wedding ring on that date, but JR's more bothered about him wearing his socks to bed. <laughs> See where the priorities lie between each of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Dean Malenko might be a bigamist, a polygamist, but he sure as hell ain't gonna wear his socks to bed, by God. <laughs> Jeff Hardy, did you spot? He basically did Hangman Page's bookshot lariat when he tagged into the match. Yes, yeah. I know it's that. <laughs> That's wicked. Perry Saturn was totally not ready to sneak attack Jeff, so Eddie Guerrero has to improvise. And he tries a Hurricane Rana, but Jeff holds onto the ropes, and that gives Lee to the opportunity to hit the twist of fate on Eddie, and Jeff follows up with a Swanton Bond to eliminate him. We then get the poetry emotion on Malenko, but when they try it on Saturn, it's countered with a Death Valley driver, and that eliminates Jeff. At this point, Jim Ross calls King a misogynist because he claimed that Team Extreme are only down to one and a half people at this stage now. Oh, God. There's a really nice sequence where Matt escapes with Death Valley driver, tried the twist of fate, but gets dragon suplexed for a near fall. Matt blocked a head scissors out of the corner with a sidewalk slam, followed up with his leg drop and the twist of fate to eliminate Saturn, and that causes Terry to get in the ring, flash her knickers, slap Matt, and get speared by Lita. That kerfuffle allows Dean to roll up Matt for a free count, and naturally, as expected, it's come down to Dean versus Lita again. She gets a pretty good run in this match with head scissors, victory roll, moonsault, and this mint DDT where she was spinning off Dean's shoulders. Dean cut her off on the top rope and hit a superplex, but pulled her shoulders up from the pinfall and instead locked on the Texas Cloverleaf, and that gets the win after 8 minutes and 6 seconds. Michael Cole interviews Lita immediately after the match, and she insists that she can beat Dean. What a knob move that is. Why she's literally just had her ass handed to her by Dean Malenko. Michael Cole's like, anything to say? <laughs> like, fuck off. <laughs> what did you think of the match, Kyle? It was a nice, easy opener, I thought. Very odd seeing Eddie get eliminated first. You know, he's still not at prime Eddie. That was quite strange. Team Extreme, up to the usual stuff. Get all their spots in. You know, we see the Swanton Bomb, Poetry in Motion, we get Matt's leg drop. A bit of interference with Terry. Had a little bit of everything, really. Just your average opener to sort of whet the appetite for everyone else. Yeah, pretty similar, really. Just nice, breezy opener. The stipulation in the time that there were allotted meant it was pretty much just moving from elimination to elimination. But I thought at least it closed out with the best portions of the match where Matt and Perry were squaring off and then Lita and Dean closing off. Nice way to start the show. Yeah. Lillian Garcia tries to get an interview with the WWF champion Kurt Angle, but he refuses to finish his warm-up. Oh, this interview's gold here. Yeah. Are you Bulgarian? Do you know any Bulgarians? Because Kurt Angle does. He beat them and every nationality in the Olympics. So if you think I'm sweating an eyebrow, or a nose, or a badass, or a fat ass, 
Or a redneck? I don't think so. He shouldn't have to be in such a barbaric match in front of a bunch of inbred hicks. But he's not worried about being made famous. He's already famous for being a gold medalist and the WWF champion. Would you like to see my career come to an end, Lillian? Uh, I, I didn't think so. After he wins, he's showering, drinking an ice-cold glass of 99% fat-free milk and taking the first plane out of here. What a treasure Kurt Angle is. He's so good on promos. Wonderful. Yeah, just hits so many of his best character beats here, like both in terms of arrogance and, and comedic timing. Yeah. The whole show is littered with Hell in a Cell moments, highlighting past matches, and we get a first one here, which is Triple H, backdropping Cactus Jack through both the cell and the ring. What a match that was. That's the first show I asked for as a present. Yeah, just such a good main event. Our second match of the evening is for the WWF European Championship. William Regal, the champion, is defending against Hardcore Holly. This is a rematch from Survivor Series the previous month where Regal retained by disqualification after Hardcore attacked him with the belt to protect his injured arm. Regal had actually lost the title to Crash at Rebellion the previous Saturday, but he won it back again on Raw the previous Monday. And speaking of good promos, he cuts a promo here saying that while Bob is a native of Alabama, Regal is the one who cares about these people. And he gives them some handy advice. Use a handkerchief. Wash your overalls at least once a week. Don't fuck your farm animals. <laughs> that one drew the ire of Holly and that has him interrupt the promo. So he's either pro or against animal fuckery. Yeah. <laughs> Regal got suplexed really early on and does a massive when he got lifted up. He comes back with a top rope superplex. Second match in a row, the top rope superplex. He hooked in a nice bow and arrow hold as well. He tries a butterfly suplex, but Bob blocks and does a brilliant stalling backdrop all while Regal still had his hands locked. And then he follows up with his perfect missile drop kick and a falcon arrow. Kyle Harcourt Holly's drop kick is just perfect. Sublime. One of the things that kind of earmarks you for success in wrestling is doing several things very well instead of doing lots of things really poorly. Harcourt Holly's a, an illustration of that. Got something immediately that you brought to mind of when you think of Hardcore Holly. Oh, perfect missile dropkick. Yeah, definitely. The finish sees Hardcore block the regal cutter, and then... It's Raven! He DDT'd Bob while the referee checked on Regal, and that allows Regal to cover for the referee to retain his title after five minutes. Not too much time to do anything in this match, really, but... Bob had a couple of great moves, inoffensive even if the finish came out of nowhere. What did you think, Kyle? Yeah, I completely agree with that. 
I think if we we go on terms of who would beat who, I think we, we know Hardcore Holly would probably get the win over Regal, but to protect Regal, we get the Raven interference. Yeah, that's about it. We then see clips of SmackDown from Thursday, where it looked like the three heels in the Hell in a Cell match were going to stand tall together, but then Kurt Angle blindsided Rikishi with the title belt. And that cues Kevin Kelly interviewing Rikishi about it, and wondering whether Triple H is going to turn on him as well. Rikishi is very philosophical and says, whatever happens, happens. And if anyone gets in his way, he'll show them what he's willing to sacrifice. Wow. Ominous. You can trust Triple H, though, can't you, Kyle? Absolutely. Always knows what, what he wants to do, that man. Our third match of the evening sees China go up against the right to censors Val Venus. We see a clip from Raw where Ivory attacked China from behind and pulled the absolute best oh I fucked up here face. <laughs> Val then wound up clotheslining China over the announce table and JR informs us that China told Billy Gunn to stay out of this match no matter what. China met Val out in the aisle to brawl and when they get in the ring, she does a good drop-toe hold and some seated forearms, followed by stomping a mud hole in the corner and a DDT for a two-count. Val comes back with a Russian leg sweep and a butterfly suplex. King winds up proving JR's point that he's a misogynist by calling Ivory a butterface. There's three things that are certain in this world, Kyle. Death, taxes, and Jerry Lawler misogyny. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> China fires back with a flimsy-looking netbreaker, and then a nice clothesline, only to get power-slammed. Val goes for the money shot, but it missed. And that got me thinking, money shot, that's still a porn on pornography. Yeah, so... His whole right to censor shtick has holes in it. <laughs> yeah, it needs a new name, totally. <laughs> what I was about to say definitely wouldn't have worked. I nearly said the money slot, but no. <laughs> <laughs> That's even dirty. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the censor shot? I mean, I suppose anything with the word shot in it can be m- misconstrued to however you want. <laughs> the money bag? Yeah, the money bag, the money bomb, the money fly. <laughs> in the end, China got tripped up by Ivory and she gave chase, but that subsequently allowed Val to lock in the perfect plex. And that gets in the three count. After 4 minutes and 59 seconds. Very similar timed match to the other one. China tried to powerbomb Ivory in the post-match, but Val made the save of a blue thunderbomb. And then Ivory is helping escort Val out of the ring, and like she's kind of like in a headlock, and JR quips, that's where she belongs, in his armpit. <laughs> what do you think of the match overall, Kyle? Very protective, I would say. You know, there were times where, weirdly enough, I felt 
China sort of backed off a bit off Val without going too full into the power moves and the hits. But again, it was a short match. We sort of got over the fact that China's just a freak of nature, you know, will beat up anybody, man, woman, animal, you know, you name it, China will fight. And, you know, we we got that across and... Yeah, you know, just nice and simple. I see what you're saying there. I thought China, her offense kind of drifted between being very good and very lightweight. Yeah. So it's another inoffensive match. She had a decent flow, but I think that kind of takes it a notch below the, the previous match. Yeah. Our second Hell in a Cell moment is Cactus Jack using the flaming 2x4 in barbed wire on the roof. We then see Stephanie talk to Vince. Vince thinks she wants to talk about the divorce, but Steph's just worried about Triple H. He could barely walk after the last one he had, and that was just against one guy. Vince claims he's going to put a stop to this. <laughs> Earlier in the day, Kevin Kelly interviewed The Undertaker inside the cell, and Undertaker calls it a time of reckoning. The cell brings out a side of The Undertaker that scares himself. He wants to rip someone's face off. Goody. He recalls the rush of making HBK bleed in the first Cell match and describes the match as do unto others before they do to you. He then shows Kevin the exact spot where he chokeslammed mankind through the roof and birthed the chokeslam from hell. And then he incorrectly states that the throw off the top of the Cell was second. It's not, it's the other way around. Do you know, I found it very weird that the interview was inside the cell. I just felt it was really random. Yeah, this cell is supposedly a thing that transforms The Undertaker into something completely different, and yet he's willing to have an interview in it. Yeah. Uh-oh, here come Vince and the Stooges. The steps were kind of out of whack, and Pat Patterson spent ages lining them up for Vince. I was getting so frustrated watching him try and get in the ring. I was just like, please just get in the fucking ring. <laughs> I think it was at some point during this promo that my cousin's tape, I think it either started or I only saw the Hardy Boys match and then the previous two matches were recorded over and then it cut back into Vince's promo. So this is a big memory for me although I'm not quite sure at what point in the promo we cut in either way Vince clarified he meant everything he said to Linda on Smackdown and he meant his genuine concern for the superstars in the main event he's here heart in hand a humanitarian asking the fans to join him in sending a message to Mick Foley that you won't allow the cell match to happen there's then unbelievable bit where he's rattling through trying to convince people you need to contemplate what could happen if your favorite got hurt in this match contemplate i want five seconds of silence (laughs) he implores everyone stand up join him come on stand up kyle no (laughs) damn it i said stand up He's not impressed with the uptake and so concludes, 
when you see your favourite superstar mired in the afterbirth, it'll be on each and every one of your consciences. And that gets a big pop from the audience. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! We're going to end someone's career! Yay! Liability! Promos on a pay-per-view, Kyle. And it smacks a filler, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. I wonder if this is the time that Random Steve is going to get. Oh, We'll call it Vince's Random Steve plug. Quite frankly, it fills out any match card, pal. <laughs> Our fourth match of the night is the last man standing. Kane taking on Chris Jericho. Oh, second time we've got two straight matches repeating the same spots. These two start brawling in the aisle. Yeah. They brawl all the way to the backstage and it takes embarrassingly long to get a camera back there. Yeah. You see Kane nearly fling that crate right at Jericho's head. Mm. Holy shit, that could have gone anywhere. Jericho replies by flinging sawdust from a flatbed truck in Kane's eyes. Ooh, flatbed truck. That's weird. Well, why is that in an arena? Yeah, what's that doing there? Hmm. Odd. Midian and Too Cool are randomly there backstage and Midian gets beaten up for it. <laughs> that was so funny. Move out the way, <laughs> idiot! Yeah, just, you know, hanging out by the hay and, and just chilling. <laughs> Back in the arena, Jericho gets a reverse elbow off the top, sends Kane to the outside, but then gets caught and sent into the post and power slammed on the floor. There's a bit of a dodgy backbreaker where Kane's knee barely touched Jericho. Like, he didn't land anywhere near it. Yeah. He makes up for it with that freaky, inverted, choke, face, clench thing that's... Yeah, it's literally out of a horror movie. Jericho came back with a spinning heel kick, but the lion salt eats the knees, and Kane hits his top rope clothesline and gets a six count. I absolutely love that top rope clothesline. Such a good move. Yeah, his arc is just really cool. Mm. Jericho keeps egging Kane on, and so he gets choke slammed. And when Jericho got up at the nine count. Kane got a chair and attacked, but Jericho escaped the tombstone with a low blow, a DDT, and he wallops Kane with the chair. Follows up with a missile drop kick, the bulldog, and the lion soul into the chair, but Kane sits up at the eight count, kicks Jericho's head off, and drops him out of the ring with a gorilla press slam. They wind up brawling at the stage, and Kane tries to choke slam Jericho through a table while stood on a crate but Jericho bulldogged him through the table, then recovers in time to spot a rather conveniently placed stack of barrels at the stage's edge. Yeah, mm. what are they for? Stuck together. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) handy bit of staging there. He uses his momentum to swing it back a little bit and gets them to collapse on top of Kane. An ominous black glove reaches through the barrels at a nine count, but Jericho's able to kick it away and win the match after 17 minutes and 16 seconds. That finish, my mate Seb, when I got this on my own VHS copy, I had Seb over at my house and we watched this match and he bloody loved this finish and he went and 
made a, a picture of this on Microsoft Paint and printed it off of me. It was fucking mint. <laughs> what did you think, Kyle? I really enjoyed the match, you know. There was a, a decent amount of use of weaponry coming out. We got all the big moves. I think, for me, it showcased Kane a lot more than Jericho. And I don't mean that in a bad sense to Jericho. I thought Jericho was great, but in how versatile Kane can be. And I felt that this match showcased it really well. The ending was smart. How do you keep Kane down for a 10 count? Yes, all right, the the, the staging was a bit random of like, oh, look at these over here. But, you know, smart way of doing it. Good finish. Probably Jericho taking the win with how new he is to the to the company was the right decision. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed the match. I see what you're saying there, Kyle, because Kane seems to wind up a bit further up on the card than Jericho after this match. Yeah. I mean, personally, I was kind of disappointed with it, really. I had such a strong impression of this match when I was younger because of that finish, which was really cool. But I felt like it was a bit plodding and it paled in comparison to all of the spots that they were doing in the run-up to this match. You know, Kane sending Jericho through the table and through the glass window and Jericho attacking with the 2 by 4 and in the barricade door after Survivor Series and things like that. I personally preferred they had a match the previous month at Survivor Series and I think that's a little bit of a hidden gem as far as a big man, little man match goes. Yeah, yeah. That puts us halfway through the card and so it's half-time question time and our mate Ash on Twitter sent us a question over. You might have also heard him as a star of Last Match Standing's Patreon trivia challenge. He was asking us, since we're covering this show headlined by a big Hell in a Cell match, what our favourite Hell in a Cell matches are. Wow. That is very, very tough. I'll give you a few, and then we can try and windle them down. (laughs) Take a Mankind, Triple H, Cactus Jack, Triple H, Taker, with Sean as the guest, Referee. <laughs> and the Metallica entrance. Yeah. They're my straight off the top of my head go to Hell in a Cell matches. A big one for me is Batista and Triple H. Vengeance 2005. Big reason I made sure to cover it on our, our Triple H Wrestles Court episode. Yeah, an unsung Hell in a Cell match. It doesn't get mentioned enough. No, I don't think it does either. I'm also quite fond of Undertaker and Edge, SummerSlam 2008. Yep. Modern ones, I enjoyed Usos and The New Day. Yeah. Fantastic, again, great innovation. And Becky and Sasha Banks. Yeah. See, for me, not taking away from the fact that they're amazing matches, the one thing that really puts me off modern day Hell in a Cell matches is the changing of the cage. It just seems a bit thicker and clunkier. You know, it's not as easy to, to sort of get in your eyes to adjust when the camera's out of the cage. 
Whereas, you know, the old school one, it, they were lighter panels, weren't they? So even when the camera was outside, it was so much easier to, to see the action. I find that even with a regular steel cage match now, like the great in the way it looks on the camera, it, it makes the match harder to follow. Yeah. Ash also wanted to mention Edge versus Taker and Undertaker versus Batista from Survivor Series 2007 as well as ones that go a bit underappreciated. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Ash. And remember, everyone, you can reach out to us on Twitter at TNW Podcast if you have a question for our halftime segment. Yeah, cheers, Ash. Jonathan Coachman finds Deborah and Mick Foley backstage and he asks if Mick is having any second thoughts about the main event after seeing that last man standing match. Mick says he's responsible for everyone's health tonight and calls Kane underneath the barrels a bad omen. However, Vince McMahon is dead wrong about the Hell in a Cell. People want to see that match and it will go ahead. Shawn Michaels joins us again in WWF New York and JR asks him if he can offer the combatants any advice. He says it's kind of tough to predict because he was in there when it was one-on-one but you can't really get a rhythm when there's six guys in the same match. He felt fear when he was in the Hell in a Cell and he agreed with The Undertaker's comments earlier. He becomes a totally different man. So you gotta watch him, boys and girls. Our next Hell in a Cell moment is Mankind getting chokeslammed onto the thumbtacks. I still wince at that all the time. The pain that he must go through in his matches doing shit like that. Yeah, any kind of drawing pin spot creeps me out. Especially because right when I started watching the WWF, you had the pedigree into the thumbtacks. Yeah. The Royal Rumble. And... I just couldn't imagine that. Like, I think Mick summed it up best when I think it was on WWE Untold and he was talking about match. Oh, I could lose an eye, but think of the pop. Which, to a normal person, that seems insane. Well, to Mick Foley, it's like. If they only drag half of my body out of the stadium and the crowd are cheering, yes, I am all in. <laughs> Jesus. We then see some of the Birmingham bolts from the XFL that are in the audience. Kyle, the XFL, did that mean a goddamn thing to you when you were growing up? Absolutely nothing. Not one bit. I remembered, like... Heat, by the time it was on Channel 4, it was a bit of a magazine show and you'd get like clips of some of the goings-on in, in WWF. And I remember when the XFL got brought up and Vince McMahon held that press conference and he was just like, sometimes I'm sitting there like several months out of a year and wondering, well, damn it, where's my football? I'm like, what? I don't get it. <laughs> We've got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I found it really strange. When I started college, American football was a big thing for a lot of the lads there. Like, there was a, I think, for the Bolton Bulldogs or something, some, like, amateur junior team or something. Yeah, I mean, not so much locally, but I was similar when I was at Salford. 
it was like a big thing. And especially when the Super Bowl came around, the lads at uni would always make sure that we had a night, like a Super Bowl night and stuff. And mm. it was only at, at uni that I, I sort of started to understand American football and started to, to think, well, do you know what? If the lads are going to do a Super Bowl night, at least let me try and watch a few games, get into it and know what I'm sort of watching. And mm. since then, you know, I watched every now and again. I do watch the Super Bowl, but I'm not as, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a, a massive fan. You don't really need to anymore, Kyle. Jay-Z's confirmed WrestleMania is bigger than the Super Bowl. Oh, my God. Do you know, when when he said that, I was just fangirling. <laughs> <laughs> Musically, Jay-Z's the equivalent of Triple H for me, so to hear that was like... <sighs> All I need now is Jay-Z and Triple H in a picture with Triple H pointing at him. <laughs> and then that's it. I'm done. I am done. Our next match is Four Corners WWF Tag Team Championship match with the champions the right to censor accompanied by Steven taking on Edge and Christian the Dudley Boys and K-Quick and Road Dog. Truth! I know the amazing longevity of our truth here. Yeah. Kyle, did you enjoy Road Dog and K-Quick's entrance? Oh God, it brought back old memories. Christian didn't seem to enjoy it, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> Poor Steven. He's limping from the table attack on SmackDown, but he doesn't get a cane. It's been a very expensive cane for Vince, and he, you know, for everyone else, he's like, nope, absolutely not. There's no money in censorship. It's obvious. <laughs> RTC jumped the Dudley boys. And Devon got kicked right in the face. They score with the whole train. Again, another move nobody renamed. Whole train. Talking of the Godfather, his interview with Austin is really, really good and really interesting. Mm. Just as a bit of a segue. Really enjoyed that. Because he, he talks about his time being at the Godfather and then the pressure of them not being able to use the Godfather character anymore, so having to revert to the Godfather and him not really enjoying it and that sort of thing. So it's really, it was a really interesting listen. Edge and Christian wind up tagged in the match and in probably the best spot of the night so far, they're in there with Bubba and Rodog at the same time. Bubba and Rodog both start the shake, rattle and roll without realising it. Then they realise it punch each other out, and Edge and Christian pile on top at the same time for a near fall. I tell you what, Kyle, K-Quick is full of beans in this match. He has never changed, has he? <laughs> he had a really cool leg larry on Edge, but then started to get worked over, and Christian took out the road dog, so Quick had to tag in Bubba instead. And boy, what a hot tag Bubba had. He was kicking all sorts of ass. Oh, yeah. 100%. Kate Quick leaped off the road dog's back to plancher the right to censor, but he got caught with a shoulder breaker, so road dog does a double clothesline jumping off the apron, but then he got super kicked by Steven. The Dudley still have command of the match, though, with the... 
then it's time for Devon to get the table. And JR, rather dodgy comment here. Bubba's almost euphoric. I think he's got wood. Wow. I mean, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, you cannot. The clothesline the right to censor with the table. Hit the Dudleyville device on edge. But Christian pulled Bubba off the cover. We get the 3D to Bull, but it was the wrong way round, so Bubba just kind of had to like give him a hug. Then we get the 3D to the Good Father, and the weather upon Christian. But then Stephen DDT Devon on the floor, Edge speared Bubba for a close near fall, and Christian wound up sneaking in with the unprettier. And that's enough for Edge and Christian to win their fourth WWF Tag Team Championships after nine minutes and forty-two seconds. JR is so furious at this result, he can't even think of a good pun on Edge and Christian's catchphrase. This reeks of... Sucking! I was finding it really weird when they won, and Edge is like, four, 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 and in my head I'm thinking, there's a lot more to come, Edge. (laughs) Oh yeah. This is much more like it for me. Good bit of energy to this match, some neat spots. And I thought it built up to the hot tag really well. The chaos at the end of the match was also really good. Do you enjoy this, Kyle? Yeah, I've got to agree with that. I mean, there's got to be a certain amount of hard work from the right to censor and Road Dog and K Quick. But a tag team match with Edge and Christian and the Dudley Boys in, you know, you're already half halfway there to a good match to start with. And I thought everything clicked and I, this sort of went through the motions. Yeah, it was good. Really enjoyed it. Oh, for sure. The tag team scene's really coming through tonight. Yeah. Stephanie is talking to Triple H, saying how it's a miracle he can even walk after Austin dropped him from that car at Survivor Series. I mean, let's be honest, Triple H is looking incredible in that little vignette. (laughs) He's incredible. (laughs) He's alive, though. Triple H counters... The World Wrestling Federation title is the most important thing in the world to me. And he doesn't care what it takes, he'll be champion again. Cues up our next Hell in a Cell moment, which is Triple H putting Cactus Jack through the table. Our sixth match of the evening is for the Intercontinental Championship. The champion, the one Billy Gunn, is defending against Chris Benoit. JR is really perturbed by the fact that Billy is wrestling with earrings. Very strange. One wrong move and he's got no earlobes. Billy gained control with a super fast drop toe hold, but then he gets sent into the steps, which allows Benoit to start attacking his knee. Billy sunset flipped out of a shinbreaker for a near fall, but Benoit's unperturbed. He hits a dragon screw that makes Billy yell, Oh, Jesus! Billy can't get up to speed properly for his stinger splash, and so Benoit dodged and hit the hat-trick of German suplexes. He tries the headbutt from the top, but Billy moved and comes back with a power slam, the gorilla press slam, and the jackhammer. And then he caps it off with a famasser, but Benoit kicked out. Billy then tried to go for the one and only, but Benoit countered with the crossface, and he kept the hold on even when Billy got to the ropes. Billy then messed up his total war slam, and he's so gassed at this stage of the match that they do a near fall off Benoit getting his foot up in the corner. 
as elemental as you can get. He snuck an inside cradle in, but right after the kick out, Benoit snared him in the crossface yet again, and that gets a submission, and Benoit's third reign as Intercontinental Champion, after 10 minutes and 3 seconds. What did you make to this one? I'll be honest, I wasn't overly impressed with it. I felt it was very, very clunky in parts. Towards the end of it, I was sort of unconvinced with Billy Gunn's injury, whether it was real or not, or part of storyline, or what the hell was going on. But Benoit winning, happy with that. Nice little showcase for him. But yeah, I just couldn't seem to to get into the match. It just felt a bit clunky for me. I don't blame you. I thought it was kind of flat as well. Benoit's limb work at the start was made meaningless by Billy's comeback. It was alright, but it wasn't as impressive as he was at the start of the match. And he got really blown up after that. Yeah. What a nothing title reign for Billy Gunn. Yeah. Didn't achieve anything for him. We then get a JR interview with Stone Cold Steve Austin, who hadn't shaved yet. Austin didn't sleep. He's been drinking coffee all day. But he expects brutality in the match. It's motivating that Rikishi and Triple H are in the match, but he can't get too distracted. He just wants to get the match started, whoop somebody's ass, and that's all I got to say about that. Do you know what? I love Austin's look. It was less goatee and more beard sort of growing. Yeah, it would have been good for him to change it up a little bit, I think. Yeah. I tell you what, Austin ending the promo with, and that's all I've got to say about that, is the bat signal for the fact that he's phoning it in here. Yeah. On to our seventh match, and it's a triple threat match for the Women's Championship. Ivory is defending against Molly Holly and Trish Stratus. Molly, who we got to see debut on our previous episode. It's exciting to see what she could do here. Yeah. She goes right after Trish, and Ivory stayed out of it until Molly landed on her feet from Trish's monkey flip. That allowed Ivory to attack, but Molly came back with a double drop kick. The heels then team up against her with a double suplex, but there's an argument over Trish's outfit, and that allowed Molly to come back with a double top rope clothesline. She backdrops Ivory to the outside and hits a powerbomb on Trish, but then Ivory dumped Molly on the outside and got the pin herself after a mere 2 minutes and 12 seconds. What the hell? Tess and Albert then come out and blame Molly for Trish's loss, which brings Crash out to goad them into the ring. T and A start laughing it off, but then the APA's music hits and the Acolytes are back. Absolutely amazing to see them. According to Bradshaw's shirt, he's always pounding ass. <laughs> Love it. Farouk spine busters the fuck out of test, and then the clothesline from hell sees Albert off as well. Yeah. I was really enjoying that, and I was sad it ended that abruptly. But then again, I also enjoyed the post-match comeback from the APA as well. I don't know. What did you think, Kyle? Same as you. It was an okay match. It only got better, really, when TNA came out and then the returning Acolytes. So, yeah, it was not nice, easy watch. Good segment. I still would have liked to have seen more from the women wrestling. 
Yeah, I think this this era though, we're only just getting into the giving the the women the time, aren't we? Yeah. There's another Hell in a Cell moment, and it's the Undertaker throwing mankind off the top of the cell. JR's line here always kills me when he goes, "They've killed him." Like, who's they? It makes him sound like a conspiracy theorist or something. Yeah. Kevin Kelly's interviewing The Rock. And Rock says that if he has to bleed through every pore in his body to get the title, he'll do it. He can guarantee not one, not two, but three things will happen. He'll sweat, bleed, and whip all their candy asses. His mixture of, of fast and slow when he's talking is brilliant. Yeah, he goes pretty sombre at the end here, saying he's going to walk into hell and walk out champion, and has a very reserved catchphrase at the end. Yeah, great promo. Like you say, the way he mixed it up here, he's got conflicting energy in this promo, because I guess he's got conflicting feelings about this match. Yeah. Speaking of which, it's main event time. Ever since Triple H was revealed as the mastermind behind Austin getting run over, everything has spun out of control in the WWF. At Survivor Series, Rikishi devastated The Rock's ribs with huge bonsai drops after weeks of abuse. Kurt Angle used his brother Eric as a decoy to retain his championship against The Undertaker, and that earned him a chokeslam off the stage the next night on Raw. And finally, Austin hoisted Triple H inside a car with a forklift truck and dropped him 20 feet into the air. Commissioner Foley wanted to put an end to all of this chaos by containing it all within the single most destructive force in the WWF, the Hell in a Cell. This raised the ire of Mr McMahon, who called Mick a sadist. He tried to convince the babyfaces to not compete in the match, but wound up eating all three of their finishes in a row on Raw. That then brings us into the traditional kind of Hell in a Cell package that we get set to Old Fortuna. It's really dramatic. Less dramatic was Mick Foley's rather no-shit Sherlock decree. There will be hell taking place inside that cell. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of what you're advertising, you know. So it's our main event, a Hell in a Cell match for the WWF Championship. 
Kurt Angle, the champion, is defending against Triple H, Rikishi, The Rock, The Undertaker, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I guess I shouldn't be surprised given how many people on Heat were backing him, but like I was saying earlier, Triple H's pop was surprisingly big. Yeah. He's walking out to his pre-Motorhead version of the game. It's just the... It's a really cool visual where half a dozen referees come out and try and calm Rikishi when Kurt Angle arrives. So, Kurt declines to enter the cell at this point in time. My other favourite moment from the entrances was The Rock walking straight in there without breaking a sweat at all. That was great. Yeah. And then speaking of pops, the fucking colossal pop for Stone Cold Steve Austin coming out. Oh, insane pop. He's the last one to enter the match, and so he brings Kurt inside the cell, and off we go. The three respective feuds all start pairing off with each other. Rock fires off with a huge clothesline that looked like he was shot out of a cannon on Rikishi. Triple H hits the facebreaker on Austin, but Austin replied with the Lufez press. And then Rock hit a terrific looking Simone drop on Kurt for a near fall. It's kind of odd. There's very rarely more than two people in the ring at the same time. Yeah, that's true. Like, everyone's kind of focused on the, the perimeter of the cell. Yeah. Kurt hit a baseball slide that sent Rikishi into the cell and you could hear Kurt ask him afterwards, you alright? <laughs> Triple H is the first person that's busted open and Austin relentlessly grates him into the cage. He literally does a lap of the cell with Triple H's face grating into the cage. Brilliant. There's then a dramatic leg drop by Rikishi onto Austin's neck as he was getting back in the ring. And then that cues a buffet of finishes. Triple H, as Kevin Kelly predicted, turned on Rikishi with the pedigree. And then The Rock broke the fall and hit a DDT to Triple H. And Kurt Angle broke a fall and hit the Olympic Slam on The Rock. Austin broke the fall and hit the stunner on Kurt. And The Undertaker broke a fall and hit the choke slam on Austin. And Triple H broke the fall, but then he gets sent into the hell in the cell with the snake eyes. Oh no. Here come Vince and the Stooges. They're out in that flatbed truck that we saw earlier on. <gasps> They're using it. Yeah, foreshadowing. The truck rips the door right off the cell. And just as they're coming back for seconds, Mick Foley arrives. He lays out the Stooges, and then just as Vince is going to attack him with the cane, security come out and haul Vince McMahon out of the arena. Triple H is the first to escape the cell, and Jesus, he sounds knackered. His breathing is so laboured, he's been through the wars already here. Oh yeah. Austin gives chase and starts battering him into the cars at ringside, and then swings the boom camera right at him. You got to see the replay from the camera's perspective, and that was really cool. Yeah, those two beating the living crap out of each other is always entertaining. Oh, no doubt. You get the really brutal spot where Austin's sent face first into the truck's window. Yeah. That's Austin bleeding as well. And that's everyone's cue to fight amongst the stage. Kurt got sent into one of the Junkers' windows as well. And The Rock tried to rock bottom Triple H on the roof of the car, but then he got pedigreed on it instead 
and that busts the rack open. Austin catapults Triple H into one of the drunkers, and then, <laughs> fuck me, nearly clattered him with a barrel. Those barrels are a menace tonight, Kyle. Yep. Kurt wallops the Undertaker with a massive chair shot, and King hilariously asks Kurt, Kurt, you all right? Undertaker's busted open now, and Triple H starts climbing the cell to avoid Austin. So Austin climbs on the other side of the cages to a huge pop. Kurt and the Undertaker join them on the roof, and we get a stunner on the roof. Triple H climbs back down to massive booze, and so Austin gives chase. And fucking hell, even Rikishi's climbing up the top. <laughs> Undertaker put enough of the fear of God into Mark Yeaton to get him to throw a chair up to him so he could use it on the cell. That is insane. <laughs> the reason why he does that. Mark Yaton's aim is pretty good. I mean, he's the guy that's always throwing Austin his beers, so, you know. Yeah. He creams Kurt Angle with it. But then Rikishi follows up and attacks both men with the chair. Fat chases Kurt back down, and the Undertaker starts coming back with right hands, driving Rikishi right to the edge of the cell. He chokes him and then pushes him off the cage onto the flatbed. That was insane, that spot. I remember watching that for the first time thinking, what the hell? <laughs> Austin's expression just sums it up for me. Yeah, definitely. Oh, boy. Rock and Austin have finally squared off and it gets a huge pop. The stunner gets countered with a spine buster. Me and Seb would find this funny as well. For Rock, he's doing the people's elbow in the cell and he still throws the... Elbow pad. Staying in the cell, going down the side of the ring. (laughs) (laughs) Triple H interrupts it, but Kurt winds up running right into the rock bottom. Austin broke up the fall, hit the stunner on the rock, but then Triple H hits a beautiful net breaker to counter the stunner. And in all the chaos, Kurt Angle crawls over to a still downed rock and gets a free count to retain his championship. After 32 minutes and 14 seconds. Austin's pissed off about this and hits Kurt with a stunner after the match. And what a match it was. Yeah, absolutely brilliant match. Definitely the match of the night. Really, really enjoyed it. A lot of different spots in there that I really enjoyed. People taking it in turns to give Triple H a tour of the cell, scraping his head along the way. Austin and, and Taker outside of the cell beating the, the living shit out of each other. The camera shot. Taker throwing Kishi off the the cell. Just the, all sorts. It was just it was such a good match. Yeah, I've got to say, this is better than I remember it being. Better than I thought it had any right to be. They basically just admitted in the Attitude Era, the closing stretch is the best part of the main event. So... Fuck it, we'll just put six or seven closing stretches in there. Yeah. While the opening where 
hardly anyone wanted to be in the ring was kind of funny. The flurry of finishes and then the door coming off and then the cool spots all around the stage. Like I, I miss unique spots in unique staging. Yeah. And then you got the roof spots as well. Just everything was really captivating. They loaded it with so much chaos, you just couldn't take your eyes off it. And I thought it made the lack of substance between spots forgivable. I I really enjoyed this. They put all their eggs in one basket with this match. And certainly in the context of that match, it paid off. Yeah, definitely. That closes out the show then. So what was your impression of the of the pay-per-view as a whole, Kyle. We've mentioned the Hell in a Cell being the match of the night. I'm going to go that way as well. But who was your standout as well tonight? Other than Triple H. (laughs) When you can say Triple H as well, it's allowed, but you're going to have to justify it. No, I think for me, the standout is actually Kurt Angle. And the reason that I say that is because, essentially, Kurt's going into this pay-per-view as still the new guy in a certain sense, even though he's the, the champion, brand new match, well, brand new match for, for a few of them, and he still finds a way to squeam his way through and still be champion at the end. So, yeah, for me, it, it, it's Angle. I agree with that, yeah. His promo earlier in the show was gold, First title reigns in the WWF can be really, really shaky, and Kurt's definitely going through a bunch of that now, but to win this match, and I don't think he looked too out of place, you know, it's it's so clear that he's assimilated to the main event style in the WWF, Yeah, and he can still contribute his own ideas, and, you know, this is, like, probably the biggest win of his title reign. Yeah, absolutely. There's something about a heel that's kind of cowardly but has this big credibility-boosting win like this. The circumstances are kind of backdoor, but nobody's going to remember that. Everyone's just going to remember Kurt coming out week after week after this saying, I beat the six top stars in the WWF all in one match. Yeah. You could tell from the way they were hyping things up on Sunday Night Heat. It's obviously a one-match show. That one match is very, very good. Yeah. The undercard's a bit spotty. The tag team division are the brightest stars in this, you know, with the opener and the the four-way tag match. Yeah. I feel like they put a lot of stock in Jericho and Kane to be, like, the, the other big point of interest. I don't think the match worked as a whole, but that finish was really, really cool, and... You know, at least gives you something newsworthy and noteworthy. Yeah. So I'd, I'd say for me, if you're going to check this out, check out the matches revolving around the tag division and the main event, and the rest you can skip, really. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think that the shining light, other than the Hell in a Cell, was definitely the tag teams. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, so that'll wrap up this show. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast. Or give us a like on Facebook to stay up to date with when we release new episodes. You can listen to the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. 
you can subscribe to us and give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and that will really help boost the visibility for the show. You can check out on our SoundCloud page a playlist of all of our episodes so far if you want to catch up. There's also a playlist of all of my guest appearances on the Roar's Nitro podcast. We're deep into the Thunder vs. Smackdown rivalry. I was making notes this weekend, preparing for another recording with Lee. We'll hopefully get that to you within the month as well. And speaking of Lee, next time, Kyle, it's not right for us to be here in 2000 and not re-eat-wind. When the crack see both, selector. Yes. So before we exit 2000, Lee got in touch and helped us track down an episode of Smackdown that he remembers fondly from one of his mates landing him. We're going to travel back to the October 26th edition of Smackdown, which is literally the Smackdown before our first episode of Raw that we covered. So we're literally back to square one in terms of all the stories that we're looking at here. So we'll see when we can fitly into our schedule and get together and record. Hopefully it won't be too long. If that gets delayed, our next episode chronologically is going to be the 2001 Royal Rumble. That second tape that my cousin sent over to me. Another great Royal Rumble. Lots to look forward to, lots of exciting stuff coming up on our Tape Trader Diaries. We hope you've enjoyed our episode today. We'll see you next time. It's a goodbye from Kyle. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and I'll see you again soon. It's a goodbye from me. I catch you down the road.